right. Hey, Rooted Fellowship. My name is Adam Flint. I'm one of the preaching pastors at Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm supposed to be with you this weekend, but as you're aware, uh, travel is off. But because of the wonder of technology, uh, I get to be with you online, and I'm so grateful for that. And you all have been in a series that is called We Are. And the first week you talked about we are dying but alive The second week, you talked about we are lamenting but worship, and today, we're going to talk about we are often confused, but we're being led. And we live in really confusing times right now. I mean, the speed at which information is coming out about the coronavirus and everything that's going on in our world is just accelerating faster and faster, and it can be so confusing to understand what is going on at any moment. And I, I was confused, honestly, for a while, like, do I come, don't I come? Your pastor, Pastor One and I were talking, and we were going back and forth about whether I should be there or shouldn't, and finally we just had to make the decision. And making decisions can be really hard. It can be, actually be really confusing, whether it's about this that's going on right now, the coronavirus, or any number of things in your life. And so the question is, how do you make decisions? I mean, do you kind of go with your gut? Is that how you make a decision? Or do you do the pro and con list and write it all down and see which one is longer than the other one? Or maybe you're a big second guesser on yourself or fear of missing out. FOMO is the thing that drives you in your decision making. Or maybe you just want to see what everybody else is doing and then you go along with that. That's how you make a decision. Or maybe you're a researcher or a studier like you're on Yelp, and you're looking for reviews and seeing what's going on, and you want to re- research every product before you get make a decision, or maybe you just don't even like making a decision. Like when I ask my wife, Kristen, where do you want to go for dinner? She just does not want to make a decision, and she refuses to even make a decision. And we face decisions all the time, every day. In fact, researchers say that we make 35,000 decisions every single day. There's a thing called decision fatigue, meaning that we we actually can get tired of making decisions and we can actually make worse decisions. And so um, people joke, but I end up wearing black all the time because it's just one less decision I have to make. There's a famous football coach here, coaches college football, and he eats the same thing. He eats two oatmeal cookies for breakfast and the same salad every single day because he just doesn't want to have to make another decision. But if you're facing a decision and you're a follower of Jesus, what you're, what you're really asking is not this. You're not asking what is most practical. And you're not asking really what is most comfortable And you're not really asking what is profitable or what will work best, but here's what you're really asking. What you're really asking when you face a decision is, what does God want me to do? Where is God leading me? What is the Holy Spirit telling me to do? But here's the thing. There's a problem in that, isn't there? I mean, have you ever heard someone say, God put it on my heart to do blank or God is leading me to do blank, or I felt such a peace about this, or God opened a door, God closed a door, and all of that. Now, in the cynical side of me, here's what I want to say when somebody says, well, God told me. I want to say, well, God told me the exact opposite. So who's right, you or me? 
Or if you say, I feel like I'm being led to do this. I mean, is it God or is it just bad Mexican food? I mean, when you're, when you're saying this, now, the pastor side of me really wants you to follow God, really wants you to be led by God, really wants you to listen to what God is telling you to do in the decisions and in the choices that you make. But you can't just say, God told me, and throw it down like it's a trump card. Now, when you say, I want to do what God is leading me to do, there's really kind of a question behind that question. And the question behind that question is, well, how do you know if it is God that's leading you? I mean, how do you discern if it's the Holy Spirit is leading you? In the midst of 35,000 decisions a day, some of which can be really confusing, how do you seek to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? And here's the big idea. To live the Christian life is not sin management. It's not behavior management. I mean, I live at the beach. If you go to the beach and you take a beach ball and you shove it down under the water, you can keep it down under the water for a while, but eventually it's going to come erupting back up. And that's what behavior management and sin management really is. It's just trying to shove a beach ball underwater, but eventually It'll all come erupting back up. But what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. That living daily life in the same Holy Spirit that gave you new life in Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Like how do you follow Jesus when Jesus isn't bodily, physically here to lead you? Jesus said the way that you do that is that you discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, learning to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit, it is crucial. I mean, it's crucial because there's a big difference between being led by you, being led by your past or your experiences, being led by popular opinion, being led by temptation or sin or Satan, or are you being led by God and the Holy Spirit? Those are big differences. Learning to discern the Holy Spirit is really vital because it affects your life and it affects other lives deeply. Being wrong can lead to temptation. It can lead to sin. It can lead to folly. It can just lead to poor decisions. Learning to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit is really important because our hearts and our feelings are not always accurate. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Which means when, when somebody gives you the advice, just follow your heart. Don't listen to them. It's terrible advice. Because our heart is deceitful above all things. Learning to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit is really important because not every decision is just right or wrong. Sometimes you're trying to choose between two things that, that technically are right. And so how do you do that? It's really important because we all want to be wise. We want to be wise to be a great friend, to be a great spouse, to be a great parent, to be a great coworker. 
And it's really important because evoking God's name to validate a plan or an idea or an action should really be treated with the utmost care. If you think about it, the the third commandment, which is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Now, most of us think that that literally just means don't putting a curse word after God's name. Don't say God. But what I think it really means, it can mean that, but at a deeper level, what God is saying is don't use my name flippantly. Don't, Don't just take my name and throw it on something if you're not really sure I'm the one that said that or I'm the one that did that thing. That we're to hold God's name in reverence. And that when we say, God told me, we could actually become really, really close to violating the third commandment. And so it is really important to learn how to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, Scripture tells us it's important. Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit. John 10.27 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Philippians 1.9 says, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. And hold fast to what is good. Now there are some problems in discerning the leading of the Holy Spirit. One of the problems is that we can care actually more about what God will tell us than we care about God himself. One of the other problems is that God is perfect and we are not. That God is holy and we are sinful. Which means all of our discernment at some level is tainted. Or the scripture says it this way, God's ways are not our ways. That because God is infinite and we are finite, even when we aren't acting sinfully, there is just a gap that makes discernment really, really hard, isn't it? Discernment's really hard because, honestly, we live in a culture that is highly individualistic. That that we get to be so private that it really makes discernment really, really hard. And we live in a time where people don't really hold any moral absolute authority. And so that makes it really hard to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we live in a time that is, we're driven by the conditions. We're sort of situationally motivated. And so if our circumstances change, then, then it makes it really difficult for us to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit. And all those things can actually be a real recipe for a disaster in trying to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, typically we do a couple different things when we're saying we're following the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, when we're trying to discern the Holy Spirit, we'll, we'll kind of use open door and closed door. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Oh, God opened a door for me to walk through that thing. Now, the problem with that is it may be God leading you, but it's not definitive. I mean, think about it. I mean, I use a Mac, but back when I used a PC, this little thing used to happen when I was on the internet. A little pop-up would pop up, and it would invite me to go to a pornographic website. Now, just because that thing opened up and it made it available to me didn't mean, just because the door was open to me, didn't mean that I was supposed to walk through that. 
I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus, after he's baptized, is out in the wilderness. He's with Satan. Satan is tempting him. Satan is opening the doors to him. And just because it's open doesn't mean that Jesus was supposed to walk through it. In fact, he pushes back and resists that temptation. Then there's on the other side of things where we say sometimes, well, well, God closed that door. The problem is that might be God or it might not be God. I mean, Jesus, after he's resurrected, literally walks through a door or a wall. Sometimes doors are closed and we just are invited to kick them in in the name of Jesus and push through and persevere in those things. And sometimes we just say, well, I felt such a peace. You know, Jesus, the problem with that is that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you, you can't tell me that he was feeling any sense of peace, and yet he was exactly in the middle of the will of God. We often talk about peace like it's an emotion or it's a feeling. Biblically, Peace is not so much a feeling as it is a standing with God. Which means you can feel all sorts of different things and still be at peace with God. Peace is not so much an emotion as it is a standing before God. Now, as hard as discerning the leading of the Holy Spirit is, as confusing as it is to be led by the Spirit, there's some really good news. And the good news is this. That God continues to illuminate the Holy Scripture that he revealed. The spirit that inspired this word to be, to be revealed is the same spirit that's going to shine a light on this thing for you and make it a living word for you to hear from the Lord. The other thing that's really good news is that when you seek to follow God's will, you are actually doing God's will. The act of seeking God is God's will for your life. In John 16, 7, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, meaning the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said it's actually better. It's actually better that he physically leave us, bodily leave us, and send us the Spirit that we would discern and follow the leading of the Spirit as we seek to follow him. The other good news is that you can actually learn to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. God is not playing a cosmic game of hide and seek with you. He's not like hiding his will over here and thinking it's a really fun game to see if you're going to find it. God wants to lead you. God wants to show you. God wants to illuminate what he has revealed in his word to you that you'd be able to follow after Jesus. The other piece of good news is if you struggle to discern the leading of the Spirit, you are not alone. I mean, this, this book is filled with people who struggled to discern and faithfully follow after God. So if you struggle with it, you know what? You can make a great disciple even while you're struggling to follow after that. So the question that, that I want us to look at now as we dive into some Bible study is I want us to ask the question, how? How can I discern? Is there a way that I can discern if the Spirit is leading me? 
So if you've got a piece of paper close by, I just want you to write the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, down kind of one side of your paper. And then we're going to use this as we walk through. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. And I just want to lead you through this passage. The elder John is writing to his congregation and he's teaching them how to test and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John writes this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. So right off the bat, he's going to say, there, there are spirits that may look like the Holy Spirit, but don't believe all of them. Don't believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We're not called to test God, but we are called to examine and to discern and to test if these spirits are from God. This kind of testing is actually an act of faithfulness to God, not putting God to the test. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In verse 2, John writes this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Now, in the original Greek, there, there were no punctuations, but if there were, when he writes, By this you know the Spirit of God, there, there'd be a colon right there as if to say, What I'm about to tell you, what follows is how you will know if this is the Spirit of God that is leading you. And so here's how you make Spirit-led decisions. Here's how you discern and follow after the leading of the Spirit. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. And here it is. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater, meaning God is the greatest. There is no one greater than God. The glory of God is the greatest thing that there is. So when you're seeking to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit, the first thing you need to do, the G in there, is God's glory. I mean, who is this decision really about? Is this decision about my glory or is it about God's glory? The Westminster Catechism, the very first question in the Westminster Catechism said, what is the chief end of man? And then it answers it. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That our chief end is not to glorify ourselves, but the chief end is to glorify God in whatever we do. C.S. Lewis put it this way, you can have first things and you can have second things. But if you take second things and make them first things, you'll never actually get the first thing or the second thing. Or Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God. Put God first, put God's glory first above everything else. The glory of God is the thing that we should seek after. Isaiah 26, 8 says it this way, Your name and your renown are the desires of our heart, O Lord. Whose glory are you really seeking? Whose glory are you really after in the decision that you're trying to make? 
Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. What is the motivation in your heart? Is it for your glory? Is it for God's glory? And you, got, you have to dig around in this. I mean, this is not just a like, oh God, I want to do this for your glory. But you really have to get in there and do some deep soul work and ask yourself the hard question, am I trying to make this about me or am I trying to make this about God? Whose glory is this really about? I was on vacation with our family a couple years ago, we were up in the northeast of the United States in Maine. It was beautiful in the summer. And we were driving down this little two-lane road, and we looked off, and there was a dirt road, and there was a sign. And the dirt road had all these ruts where the trucks had cut them out. There were, I don't know, four or five sets of ruts. And the little sign said, pick your rut, you'll be in it a while. And this decision about God's glory or our glory, it's a rut-picking decision. It is the thing that will set us into a trajectory of our lives that can change our lives forever. Whose glory is this really about? And then in verse 5, it says, They, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Do you, do you see what he's saying, though, doing in here? He's got this sort of we versus they thing going on. And it's important when you're trying to discern the leading of the Spirit is to say, what are other people, what are other Christians? This is the O. G is God's glory. O is what do other Christians who love me and who love Jesus have to say about this upcoming decision. The, the idea of Christian community is so important. Proverbs 13, 20 says that a, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I mean, I tell my two teenagers all the time, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. The who is it that's speaking into the decisions of your lives? Who is it that's, that's talking to you about that? Do you have a group of a Christian community around you that you can go to? I was in Uganda, just up north from you guys, uh, the end of last year. I had the chance to go on a safari. And we got down to the riverbank. and I mean, it was just like on Discovery Television. We got down to the riverbank, and we looked. There's this whole herd of gazelles and they're down by the water and sure enough you know what they do right they all jump in the water except there's the one lone one at the back and what always happens to the one lone one at the back it always gets picked off and so often what we do is when we isolate ourselves what we're doing is we're opening ourselves to be picked off by the enemy that we need to get surrounded up into the herd and brought into the community of God. And so you need to get into true biblical community before you need it. That you need to get some people around you that before you make the decision, they know you, they love you, they know God, they love Christ, they love God's word. And you would go to them and you would say, okay, here's the decision I'm about to make. What do you think I should be doing in this? The community is a gift from God. In verse 6, 
John goes on and he says, By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Like in today's culture, do you see what John is saying? John is saying there is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of error. And in today's culture, that's not a popular opinion. It doesn't change the fact that it's true. But there, there, there's this sense in our modern culture where people will say, well, there is no such thing as ultimate truth. Now, the irony is that that's an ultimate truth claim about there not being any ultimate truth claim. So it's sort of a self-defeating thing right off the bat. Or you hear people say all the time, just follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. But again, the heart is deceitful above all things. And so where do you find real truth? The spirit that breathed out truth, it's found in Scripture. Does the Bible command, this is the S, Scripture, God's glory, other Christians, and now Scripture. Does, God's, does the Bible command this? Like if God says do it, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wonder if it's the will of God. It is God's will if he commanded it to be done in here. Did God prohibit it? If God prohibited it? You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to ask about it. You don't have to think about it. If God says, don't do it, don't do it. It's not the will of God. So does the Bible command it or permit it or prohibit it? What does the inerrant, unerring, infallible word of God have to say? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, all of it, all scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. God has given us this gift of Scripture that we would be taught and we would be led and we would be equipped for whatever it is that God leads us to. Listen, if, if you want to hear God speak, do you know what you do? You open up your Bible and you read it out loud. You'll hear the very words of God. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes. We live in a city here in Jacksonville where water is everywhere. And so there are bridges connecting all of our city all over the place. And there's a huge bridge near downtown here called the Fuller Warren Bridge. And it was rebuilt probably 20 years ago. And when they began to rebuild the bridge, I mean, they had all the blueprints, they had all the everything, and they had these huge concrete pilings. The river's probably three miles wide. It is a huge bridge. And the engineers took those pilings and they drove them down into the floor of the river to stabilize the entire bridge. But what happened was they had looked at the pilings and they had thought they should go down this way, and actually they should go down this way. Now the problem was they did what was right in their own eyes. They thought it looks like this, it ought to go like this. What they didn't do, what they found out they didn't do, was they didn't, they didn't look at the blueprint. God has given us his blueprint. Beware of your feelings and of your experiences in putting those up over Scripture. And so what you need to do is you need to read this. You need to study God's word. You need to memorize scripture. 
Listen, God is giving us a gift right now. He is clearing our plates and clearing our calendars. One of the greatest things we could do is to spend time in the Word of God, to memorize the Word of God, to feast on the Word of God, that we might be able to recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd. And you need to settle what you believe about this. Do you believe that God has revealed himself and revealed truth through this? I mean, what an incredible gift that God gave us Scripture, that God revealed himself. We didn't have to go and find it. God offered who he is and his ways to us in this. What a gift that is. And in verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son. Now listen to this. This is so important. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you go back to verse 2, it says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I mean, in these couple verses, just right here in verse 9 and verse 10, you see the gospel. You see the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at it. God sent his only son so that we might live through him. Not, not that we would behave better, but that we would have life and life to the fullest. That's what Jesus says in John 10.10. So God sent his only son that we might live because the problem is sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. And what we need is not tips and tricks to live a better life. What we need is a savior. We need somebody that will take the thing that caused us to die, which is our sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus... Because he first loved us, not because we did anything, but because he chose in his sovereign grace. He came and lived the life that we should have lived. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And on the cross, he died the death that we deserve to die. That on the cross, he was our propitiation. He was the payment that completely satisfied God. He was the paid in full for our sins. He who knew no sin became our sin that we might have life, that we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel. And so when you're looking to say, is this God's will or is this God's leading? We would ask, whose glory is this about? What do other Christians that love me and love Christ say about this? What does scripture say about this? Now I'm going to skip the P for a minute and I'm going to go to E. There's evangelism. Evangelism just means good news. Does my decision line up with the good news of the gospel and will it give me the chance 
to share that gospel and to invite people to faith in Jesus and that good news. Matthew 28, 18 says, Therefore, go and make disciples. Then no matter what we're doing, the sense is actually as you're on the go, whatever you're doing, make disciples. I was in Brazil, I guess, a couple years ago, and we were in this trash dump. People were living in the trash dump. And I met this guy named Fernando. And as I'm walking with Fernando, I'm just getting the sense that God is saying, share the good news, share the gospel, tell them about Jesus. And I'm like, ah, should I, shouldn't I, should I, should I, I don't know, should I open my mouth, shouldn't I? And the question here would be Jesus going, yes, it is my will that you share the gospel with people. It is my will that you would share the good news with them. Ended up sharing the gospel with Fernando. He ends up coming to faith and professing faith in Jesus right there in the middle of the garbage dump. I love there's a saying by C.S. Lewis. He said, my prayer is that when I die, all of hell rejoices that I'm out of the fight. That we would proclaim the good news with such fervor and such attractiveness to people. That, that hell would rejoice when we die that we're not on the earth to share the gospel anymore. It goes on in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his perfect spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Do you see that six times? Abide, 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 abide. You will never do for God until you have spent time with God. And this is the P. This is prayer. Have you asked? Have you listened? Have you waited on God? Have you spent time with Jesus? Prayer is abiding with Jesus. It's talking to him. It's listening to him. It's sitting with him. Have you abided with God that you would just know what your shepherd is like, that you would know his voice, that you would just, that when it, something came along and you had to make a decision about it, you would spend enough time with your Savior that you would just go, yeah, yeah, that smells, that smells like him. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God is that you would pray about things. And so as you are praying, you are actually living out the will of God. The prayer is about getting God, not getting stuff from God. So pray. Don't just say prayers. Pray. Make praying a priority. And pick your best time of day. I'm an early morning guy. 5 a.m., I'm up, I'm ready to go. That's my best time of day. At night, I'm done. And so early morning is my best time of day. What's your best time of day? Ask and listen 
wait on God. Silence does not equal absence. I mean, Jesus tells us to seek and to ask and to knock and to be persistent. Not just to pray once about something and then roll on and let it go. Verse 17 says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And we need to hear that right now, don't we? In the midst of all the fear, God is that perfect love. That you would fix your eyes on the love, the perfect love that is God. And it will cast out all our fears. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Man, that is such good news. You didn't earn God's love. God gave it first. That's grace. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He's 26 times love, 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 love. So when you're facing a decision, is God glorified in this? It's God's glory. What do other Christians have to say about this? What, is, what would scripture have me do? What do, I, what do I, have I prayed about it? Have I, have I abided with Christ in this decision? Will it allow me in evangelism to, to display the gospel, to speak the gospel to people? And then here the question is, will I be able to live a life marked by love? Think about John, the guy that wrote this. He used to be a sons of thunder. He told Jesus, hey, you want us to rain down fire on this town? And now here he is all these years later. Love, 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 love. Will this decision lead me to a lifestyle of love marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Will this decision cause me to live out the way the Spirit is forming me to live? I mean, in Galatians 5.22, here's what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Spirit that is leading you to do something will always lead you in a way that looks like the fruit that he's producing in you. God will never lead you in a way that is opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. If you think, I have to do this, and in order to do this, I have to be angry, that's not the, not the will of God, because God leads in patience and love. So everything that God would lead us to do would lead us in the way of the fruit of the Spirit, would lead us in a way of life marked by love. So what does love require of me? And so when you're faced with a decision, whose glory is this really about? What do others in, in my sort of circle of friends that love me and love Christ have to say about this? 
What is Scripture, the Word of God that was breathed out by the Spirit? What does that have to say? What is prayer? How's prayer played into this? Have you prayed about it? Really prayed? Really listened? Really abided? Will this give you the opportunity to live out and share the gospel? And will your life be a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit? Marked by love, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, for some of you, you have a next step to take. And the next step is you've been running down a road where it has been all about your glory and not about the glory of God. And your next step is to simply repent. Repentance just means to be turned around and to head the other direction. You've been heading in a direction of your glory. And by God's grace, the Spirit would turn you and would lead you in repentance to make your life about the glory of God. Maybe for you, the next step is that you would get in some real gospel-centered discipleship and community. That I know you're saying, well, I don't even know how to do that right now in all these circumstances. I'm supposed to stay in my house. I don't know how to do that. Man, Pastor One and your church are providing ways for you to be able to do that right now, even as it's going on. All you need to do is let them know, I need to get into community, and they'll help you get into that right now. And then when all of this blows over, to be able to get face-to-face with other people in real Christian community. Maybe your next step is that you would carve out intentional daily time to abide with Christ. That, that you would take time in Scripture every day. That you would take time in prayer every day. Whatever your best time of day is, you would just set that aside and you would make that a priority. God's given us the gift of this space in our schedules and calendars right now. Take it and use it and saturate your life in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. Maybe your next step is really just to discover what does it mean for you? What do you look like living out the fruit of the Spirit? How has God shaped you? How has God formed you? What does it look like for who you are and the way God has gifted you and called you and your experiences and your personality and all of those things? What does all that look like for you? Do you, do you know you? That you would spend some time to figure out who God has created you and redeemed you to be. And what it looks like for you to live a life by the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe, maybe for the first time, you've heard the good news of the gospel. You've heard that God sent his son to you. And not that you did anything to cause him to do that, but it was out of his sheer grace that it was his free, unearned love that God decided, that God chose to love you before you could ever do anything. And that your sin just doesn't make you bad, your sin makes you dead. So the problem is far, far worse than you ever imagined. But it means that the grace of God, the gospel of God, is so much better than you ever imagined. That God would send his son to you. 
that he would live the life you should have lived. He would have died the death you and I deserve to die on the cross. And that on the cross he would cry out, it is finished. Not that you are finished. It's actually that your life has just begun because it, your sin, the penalty and the separation from God because of your sin, that is finished. That Jesus bore it on the cross for you. And that he is the full payment that satisfies. Which means that if you place your trust in Jesus, that he would bear all of your sin. He would bear the death that you and I deserve. And that he would fully satisfy God. Which means that God can never be dissatisfied in you when you are in Christ. And the way that you know all of that is true is that Jesus, three days after he died, he was put into a grave, and three days later, he was resurrected from the grave. I I was in Israel just a month ago. I stood in the spot where they buried Jesus. And listen, here's the good news. It's empty. The grave is empty. Jesus got up out of that grave. He defeated death, which means he defeated the penalty of your sin. And he offers you life. So maybe your next step today is to take Jesus up on that offer of life. That you would trust him with all of your life. That you would say, Jesus, you take my sin and I receive the gift of forgiveness and life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are in confusing times but we declare that we want to be led by your spirit, that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to seek, to follow, and discern the leading of the spirit. And so, Lord, lead us in the way of your glory. Surround us with others that love you and know us. God, reveal your scripture. Illuminate, lift the words, and make them alive. The Bible to us. God, lead us in prayer. Your spirit groans even when we don't know the words. Lord, lead us to share good news about Jesus with others. And Father, may we live lifestyles marked by love and the fruit of the Spirit. And right now, Lord, if there's any who said they want to trust you as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they would simply say, Lord, I have sinned. And I trust Jesus alone that he paid for my sin and his death. And because he triumphed over the grave, I receive that life. And I profess him as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, I would love it if you would contact Pastor One and Rooted Fellowship and let them know so that they can walk alongside of you and help you take your next steps. Rooted, I love you. Thank you for letting me be with you, even if it's just on the other side of a screen. And I'm praying, I'm hoping, and we are making plans that we'll be face-to-face together in South Africa. I love you. Be free.